Welcome to the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about the evil power of big tech. Love that we don't have to talk about AI today, or maybe we will, but we're not going to start there. So, so Kevin, what's one thing you've done lately to become a better marketer? AI. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, God, don't <laughs> go there already. Wait like five minutes before we start talking AI. Yeah, we should set a new personal best for how how many seconds does it take for us to jump into AI. Now, I'm going to give you something else. So, look, I got this really... So, at, at, at Shopify Energy 2, when I was running SEO and growth or part of growth at these companies, we... You know, they, they gave us executive coaches. So they coach in all sorts of stuff. And at Shopify, I had this coach and we looked over my calendar and she was like, holy cow, Kevin, you are back to back in meetings all day, every day. When do you have time to think? And I thought, why do I need to, like, what, how do I need time to think? And she was like, no, look, block out the first two hours of your Monday morning and just think about what's going on right now and what needs to be done and what the priorities are. And doing that was a game changer for me. So ever since I've blocked specific time, since I'm now not in corporate anymore, I, I'm an advisor to companies. So I blocked out dedicated time every week to think about each and every client. And I think about two things. One, what are the hard questions that they need to ask themselves? It's so easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day -day and you know smaller things and exactly what the client wants that you never really take a step back and think about what is what are the hard questions that they need to ask themselves. And the second thing is, what are the big questions? What are the really big questions they need to break through? And it's often not the stuff that the client wants, right? The clients, they, they have a specific problem that they hire you for, but that problem is just the symptom of a deeper root cause. And so I set aside more time to think about that root cause. And it has been super impactful in my work because I don't waste time on small stuff. I only do big boy stuff with my clients. And that has a much, much larger impact. The one thing I've been doing to become a better marketer is to just think more and not and do less, which sounds counterintuitive. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt that. So mine is copywriting. And I don't think I'll ever be done with this. So every time I feel like I don't have anything to do right this moment, I don't want to turn on TV, of course, and I don't want to sit there and swipe on my phone. So I'll Google copywriting and I'll start watching YouTube videos about being a better copywriter because I think I could never ever reach a point where I think I'm a good copywriter. So I just want to rag on the people that do this on LinkedIn where they write like, here are the top 10 ways to open a LinkedIn post with great copywriting. And they're stupid and they're canned. And if you're using those things, just you got to be creative. So you want your own message and your own way of saying things and however you're, you're doing that and improve your copywriting and not take someone else's message. Like I saw someone recently share like, you want to open with share a personal story. So here, there's literally, here's the opening, like, oh, today my day was really hard. And then X, Y, Z happened. And to me, I think that's, that's not authentic. I wanted to share my own story, but improve my, my copywriting and do things like that. There's even a, a tool I found called typeshare.com or typeshare.whatever, where they give you these opening and closes and they're like, these are LinkedIn posts that work. It's not authentic. You're just, you're playing Mad Libs with copywriting. And that's not the way I want to do copywriting. I just want to be better at writing the copy I have myself. All right, show me the book you just picked up. I, I actually love your advice because I'm doing the same thing. I bought the Copywriter's Handbook by, uh, what's the author's name? Robert W. Bly, B-L-I. I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but it's a step-by-step -step guide to writing copy that sells. I've, I've like you know looked through all the recommendations that good copywriters put out there, and I'm on the same trajectory as you, Eli. There's something 
about copywriting that is more than just writing text or good copy, right? It's the process of thinking through a problem, thinking through your audience. And if, yeah, I, I want to practice that more just like you. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, we can segue into our main topic here, but I, I learned copywriting many, many years ago and I didn't realize I was doing copywriting because I, I was I spent a ton of time on social media. Like part of my job at a startup 15 years ago was hitting the front page of dig and hitting the front page of Reddit every day. I did it every single day and I drove millions and millions of visits like that and writing a dig headline or writing a Reddit headline was all copywriting. And I would toy with that. It's the same story. I'm like, how do I really put in the first three words the reason you want to click and the reason you want to upvote? And again, I had no idea that I was copywriting. So as like I try to bring that more into my life now, write an email. Like if I'm and again, if I'm writing an email, you want to hit the same. If I'm sending to a stranger who does not have to read my email, I want to come out right away with the most important thing. Like after hi Kevin, it's like hi Kevin. This idea will save you millions of dollars, right? Like that gets your attention instead of like. Do you have a moment? I just wanted to share something with you and already they're like, delete it. And again, if you're posting on LinkedIn or if you're tweeting, like, how do you write copy the same words and really go into it? So let's get into our main topic and talk about the power of big tech. So I know you had a recent story with Substack, but I just kind of stole the thunder here by talking about dig. So <laughs> the first time I, I ever discovered the power of big tech was actually on dig. So my job was I, every day I had to hit the front page of social media. I was, I was responsible for SEO, but I, I was driving traffic. And then my, my comp, my boss and my company counted on me to do that. And one day I come into the office and to start my dig process. And I, I go to log into my dig account and it says your account has been closed. I was, I was, it was just like pulled away from me. I had no idea what to do. And I, you know, I had all these people like, you know, I had all these chat groups of people talking about their accounts getting banned. I'm like, but I didn't do anything. I didn't post anything wrong. I went to my boss who's the CEO of the company and he starts literally yelling at me. Like I lost the keys to like drive all these millions of visits to, so we could get sell advertising to people who were getting dig visits. We, I think we were funded by the same people that funded dig. So he reached out to Kevin Rose, who's CEO of dig. So I, I tried to appeal to get my dig account and they just sent back your account's been closed. And then Kevin Rose actually responded, or it was Jay Adelson. I think he was a CEO. Kevin Rose is the founder. Jay Adelson responded that. I had another dig account and gave some dig account to someone like in, in like Slovenia or Ukraine or somewhere who was, I knew was like a dig for hire person. Like I'm using this other dig account and I'm promoting this stuff. And I'm like, I, that's not my account. I have no idea who that is. I mean, I know him on, I see him on dig, but I have no idea who that actually is. My boss is like literally yelling at me. Like you, you tricked them. And now I'm embarrassed to like the CEO of dig. I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Like, if you want to tell me, like, I solicited upvotes, that I did. That's wrong, right? That's against the terms. But if you want to tell me, like, I operated an account using a VPN in Slovenia, that is, that's not what I did. And, like, I lost that dig account completely. I had to, like, start over a new one, which was much more successful. Why don't you talk about your more recent, like, the algorithms have power and not, sometimes are not always right. Huh. I'm not sure if it's if it can hold, if it can hang with your story. Uh, which is probably right now. Well, I got more. This is just the, this. This is the appetizer. It gets better. Oh my god. Okay. Let, let me let me see if I can serve a palate cleanser here real quick. So I <laughs> <laughs> last week wanted to respond to a comment to one of our emails on Substack because we host this podcast on Substack. And you can engage with us in the chat or note or comment on every episode. And so one of our listeners wanted to join our Slack group. I wanted to post a link to the to, to the sign up form. And when I tried, I got an error notification saying your account has been banned from commenting. And so I was like, okay, because I I don't know, I haven't done anything. I think it's against the terms, at least as far as I know. So 
I reached out to Substack and a day later they responded to me saying, oh yeah, sorry, your our system flagged you incorrectly. I lifted the ban and then I was good to comment again. So on the, on the one hand, you know, I want to say it got lifted very quickly with no consequences. But on the other hand, it is mysterious that these algorithms you know, detect me by accident and then immediately ban me. So, and I don't know what algorithms and systems are behind Substack, but it, it, it seems to be something automated that makes mistakes. And I do see the severity of that, but I also want to take the counter position in this conversation and go out on a limb and say, it's generally not that bad. And there are some cases in which the algorithms are wrong, but for the most of it, they actually work pretty fine. I definitely do not agree with that. And I had my own Substack story. I started my own newsletter on Substack. And my first, after my first newsletter, I also got banned. This was even worse. They took away my email addresses. So all the emails that had signed up, they grayed them out. And I couldn't even see it. And I couldn't post and I couldn't see the email addresses. It just says your account's been suspended. Here, here's how you could appeal. And I had no idea why. It didn't tell me anything. And I did the appeal. And they also said it's, it was a mistake and we let you back in. I think in Substack's case, Maybe they're small enough that there's ways to appeal. When we talk about big tech, Substack is like the ant of big tech. I think big tech, the power of big tech gets even worse. I put this survey up on LinkedIn the other day and asked people if they've ever been banned. 67% of people said they have not been banned. But I, I think it's actually, I, I don't think I got as much visibility on that survey. I think more people have been banned. I don't think you can go through your day. Most people in the digital world, which is like everybody but places where they don't have electricity, cannot go through their days without touching something big tech related. And by big tech, I mean Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. Even Substack is probably on AWS, which is Amazon. So if Amazon were to ban somebody that big, they could no longer use AWS. And Microsoft, you know, they own LinkedIn. So like if you got banned from Microsoft's platform, you're, you can't use their tools, you can't use LinkedIn, you potentially can't search. Google, like even if you're not getting banned by Google, itself, like Google Analytics, like all these things are all over. And everyone's phone is either like using a Google operating system or Apple operating system. If you got banned by Google, you couldn't even use an Android phone. You got banned by Apple. You couldn't make your phone work. Like the power of big tech really scares me. I don't think there is any oversight. And if you want to, and we're not going to take political positions here, but if you want to look like after January 6th, when Trump got banned from all the big tech platforms from Twitter and Facebook, he was the president. He was still sitting in the White House, still sitting in the Oval Office. The ability to declare wars and sign budgets, like even if he was a lame duck, he was still the president and had the power to do all those things. And he could not get himself back onto Twitter and could not get himself back onto Facebook. And I, I think that speaks to the power that these companies have over their private platforms to the point where Amazon has algorithms that will ban people, again, the same way we had issues with Substack, if there's like some sort of red flag. And if Amazon decides like someone is uh, not a real person or messing with their system, Amazon now owns one medical, which is a concierge doctor's office. So what if you get banned from your doctor's office because some big tech algorithm decides you're not a real person or Amazon has pharmacies now? Like what if a senior citizen who doesn't really use the internet, but they have an Amazon account to access their pharmaceuticals, they suddenly get banned and now they can't get their you know life-saving medicine. So it's scary to me. I think the problem is that these tech platforms operate more like a restaurant where the restaurant owner can pretty much throw at anybody he wants to. It's his private, not private, but it's his commercial professional property, right? Or his, his own business. So you can decide if you, if you go or not. The challenge is that there's so many people on these platforms that they're almost like public marketplaces, but governed by personal rules. And so 
these tech companies can can do what they want because they're not regulated. They're not publicly regulated or public places in that sense, even though they have a public component to them. And I think that's really the problem here. These tech companies need to be regulated in a way that they need to guarantee a certain way to respond, you know? And I'm not, I'm going to say it's the same problem with airlines, right? It's so hard to reach a person. I just got a rental car, drove from Chicago to back home to Kalamazoo, one way drop off. And, and when I dropped the car off, I just, I couldn't find where to drop off the keys. And if I tried to call the Hertz, the company, you'd have to type in five numbers before you're even, even able to reach a person. If you can solve problems well with automation, fine, go for it. But it doesn't always work. So I get your point, but I do also think that the government needs to step in here to regulate that. We cannot expect tech companies to solve that problem themselves because it's such a small problem. Yeah, and and completely agree. And I, I, you know, we're not supposed to be agreeing on the contrary market podcast, but I agree with you on regulation. But you need the right kind of regulation. So I'm I'm dealing with an issue with a bank right now, and there's an there's an agency called the CFPB. The Consumer Financial something board. Someone opened up a fake account in my name and I'm trying to get the bank to solve it. And there's a government agency that will help with that, but they do it in a government way and very slow and all that. I think when it comes to airlines, you can go to Department of Transportation, it takes you 60 days to get a response. The place where the regulation actually works in an emergency is a power company can't decide to unplug you or the water company can't decide to unplug you. If you do get unplugged, you can immediately reach out to a government agency and they plug you back in. I think that big tech companies are that important. Like if you cannot use Google, let's say, I mean, I use Android. So if Google were to ban my account, please never do that, Google. If Google were to ban my account, I cannot dial anybody on my phone. I, my, my contacts are gone because they're on Google's platform. I, I can't even access my bank accounts because the, you know, the, the verification comes through text, which is on my phone. I can't do anything. So Google has that power. I think that they are utilities. They need to be regulated like utilities. And they have an insane amount of power and they make a lot of mistakes. So just a, another banning story for you. This happened to me twice. The same company I was at where I got banned from Dig. One day, well, we just talk about the SEO bans. And we got hit by the Google Panda update and we lost a ton of our traffic. So we get an SEO penalty. There's really no one to appeal to. Big tech, again, they make algorithmic decisions. Even if you don't agree, their platform, they're allowed to do what they want. I don't think that's the place regulations step in. I can't imagine. Congress being like, I think you should reorganize the results like we suggest. Like that would be awful, right? But we, so we got hit by this Google Panda update and we were filling in our traffic requirements on Google ads. So we were buying traffic at a rate that we shouldn't have been buying, but we needed the traffic. And then our Google ads account got banned. Again, I had no idea why I logged in. It said, you're no longer able to advertise, but you could access your data. There was no note saying why. And I was very fortunate that the SMX conference was that day. So I went to the SMX conference and I went to the Google booth and I asked one of the Google employees if they could help me with my account. And I was very fortunate in that the person that was at the booth that day was a director or some something very senior. And the next day she got the account restored or something like that. But they never told me why. They never told me why I was banned. Again, it probably showed up this red flag algorithm. And then I had another account. I started a brand new Google ads account. This was on my personal ID. So if you're starting an ads account, I think everyone knows you never start one on your personal ID because if you get banned, and I'm sure a lot of people have been banned for these reasons, then you're screwed. You need to make another one. So I opened a brand new Google ads account. I, I created one campaign. I funded it with $5 and I just wanted to see if it would work. I get this email saying my account's been suspended. And then I tried to call the number, but they don't let you talk to anybody because as soon as you put in your account number, it says your account's been suspended and they hang up on you. So you can't get a real person. Again, I was fortunate 
I knew someone very senior at Google, again, benefits of living in Silicon Valley. I asked if he could help me out. A week later, he came back to me. He said, I've researched it. Your account's going to be restored later today, and you're going to be getting an apology. So I don't know why that account got banned. My assumption is I traveled and maybe they thought there was some sort of like fraud and they just, again, red flag algorithm. So that's the thing. I think these companies have so much power. And unless you're lucky and you know someone like I knew someone at Google or I, I went to that conference, you can't get it back. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, uh, Google penalties in a way are also bans because websites are not playing by the rules. And they're really, I mean, I've, I had never had a situation where a company got a penalty and didn't deserve it. They most of the time deserved it. They were playing the game, right? They took a big risk and it didn't pan out for them. The problem there, to your point, is that it's super hard to reach anybody, even when you file a reconsideration request. And th this is similar to the tax system in the US, right? You could just get a, a mail from the IRS saying, oh, we know exactly how much you owe us. This is how much you owe us. Transfer the money and you transfer the money. Instead, you have to kind of guess and hire somebody to figure out how much you owe. And then if you're wrong, you get penalized, which is ridiculous to me. And the same thing kind of applies to Google penalties where, and I haven't seen a penguin or a manual link penalty in five years, not going to lie. But why did they just send a list and say, look, these are all the the, the list, the links that, we've, that we found that were against our guidelines, remove them or disavow them or whatever, and you can play again. And that's in my mind, I don't, like, I don't know why they, they do this like hand slapping and invest all this work to clean it up and blah, blah, blah. My mind seems very inefficient, but these were technically also website bans. And now it's even worse because you don't even know when you get a penalty. They're all algorithmic. You don't get a notification for a manual penalty. So your website can literally bleed out and you have no idea what's happening. And I do understand that the web is huge and Google cannot talk to every company and make sure that they are best positioned in SEO. It is a winner-takes-it-all game, or better said, a zero-sum game that turns into a winner-takes-it-all game. And I understand the challenge here. That just goes to say, like, there are other forms of, of bans, sometimes shadow bans. Twitter, apparently Elon Musk and, and team, they banned a lot of accounts without those accounts knowing. And I think that's something that regulation should also go up against. Like, let people know if they're banned or if, they're, if their account is limited or regulated. Give them a way out, right? And I think it's totally fine to say, look, you've done something that's so hard against our guidelines, we're never going to reinstate your account. I think a company should have that right. I don't think a company should be forced to allow everything on their platform. But if there is a way to reconcile and to 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 basically, you know, fix the damage you've done, I think there should be a way and I think there should be more transparency. So now I'm defending your point. So let me let me turn this actually around. No, no, no. no. I'm going back on your point here. <laughs> so let me defend your point in that there's actually reasons for these bans. There are many, many bad actors. So the reason Twitter might ban people is because they're spammers. You know, let's say they're spamming harmful information. They're, they're spamming harmful information about the stock market, which might cause people to do things that they shouldn't, which is legal. They're spamming harmful information about health. They're spamming harmful information about cryptocurrency or something. Twitter just shadow bans them. And then they say, well, you could keep wasting your time tweeting, but no one's going to see that. So there's reasons for these things. I'm going to defend the companies and give them the benefit of the doubt that there are reasons for these algorithms. Like I, when I was banned from AdWords, like I don't know why the first time I was banned when I was at that startup, I'm guessing the second time I was banned is because I accessed my AdWords account from another country. And that might have shown up as like my account was hacked or something. I could see a scenario where they want to protect themselves from, you know, stealing from them or using their systems in a harmful way. So benefit of doubt. That's why these things exist. However, you do need some sort of counterpunch to say, hey, if you if your algorithms make a mistake, 
the real person has to be able to, I don't know, send their idea in or do something to get it back. So if you just look at the frightening power they have that even the president of the United States, like literally those 14 days Trump was president without a Twitter account, without a Facebook account, he could have gone to war. Like, I don't know if the generals would have agreed to go to war, but he could have declared war on somebody, but he could not get Twitter to give him his account back. He could not get Facebook to give him his account back. Like, that's crazy. And like, you know, let's speak to to some of the things that these companies have done now. So on Twitter side, Elon Musk owns it and it's his personal baby. And on the Facebook side, they created some board. How, how effective do you think that board is? Yeah, I think they dissolved it how many times? Three times since uh, founding it, so. There was a great Wired article we should link to in the show notes. The board actually takes themselves seriously. They have someone from the EU and she's a professor of like internet regulation. They take themselves seriously, but the rest of us like, we're like, you're just like Facebook's oversight and no one even cares what you have to say. But in theory, those things would work. And I know in Australia, and I wasn't able to find it, they have some sort of ombudsman, like if the tech companies ban you, you can come back and you're somebody to complain to and the companies have to listen. But again, how much do they have to listen? Like how powerful are those companies to say you can't operate there? And, you know, we should probably reference, did you see what happened in, in Turkey with Twitter? Yeah, so... I don't know if it's, it was the Turkish president Erdogan who asked Elon Musk to basically limit certain topics, but whoever asked him, Elon Musk gave in. And it's it's just another one of these baby behaviors where Elon Musk made it his number one mission to defend free speech. And then, you know, at the first sight of regulation from a very undemocratic country, he kind of gave in. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I, I don't know, like, that's an example of how countries should do these things. Like, what would regulation mean if, if let's say we had a, a, an American agency that would say to Twitter, you have to let this person's account back. Could they say, if you don't let it back, you're removed from the country the same way that Turkey was going to do it, or we'll just put a fine on you? So we do need some sort of regulation. It's interesting that there is regulation on the advertising side. There's regulation on the privacy side, but there isn't regulation on the other sides of the company. Yeah, a lot to pile on. So Eli, what does that mean from a marketing perspective, right? Like how can companies de-risk getting banned? I don't know that you could de-risk getting banned because we, as we discussed, we don't know the reason for any of these bans that we personally experienced. I would say the best way of de-risking is to just diversify so you are on multiple platforms. Of all the big tech companies, I would trust Microsoft the most. I, I hate that I'm saying that, but I would trust Microsoft the most for things like email and for software because Microsoft is a software company and they sell products for money. They don't give away things for free. So if you want to make sure that you buy a product and you, you purchase something and your credit card company will stand behind you. So if you want to make sure that you never lose access to your, your documents, for example, and you put them on Microsoft Office, you're, you're a paying customer of Microsoft Office. You want to make sure you never use your access to your emails, you're a paying customer of Microsoft's email. Whereas if you're using Gmail and you're not a paying customer, you're using a free product and there really isn't anybody to call. From an advertising standpoint, it's hard to de-risk because there's essentially a duopoly between Facebook and Google in their advertising. So were you to get banned from advertising in Google, on, on Google or Facebook, you might be stuck with billboards and putting your picture on, on park benches or bus stops. However, one way I would say to de-risk is to work with an agency. So there are agencies out there that they talk about the amount of money they manage and they sound like hedge funds. Like I know an agency, they say, oh, we manage like $3 billion a year in, in ad spend. You're de-risking there because money talks. And when you work with an agency that spends $3 billion a year, they know 
who to talk to. Like they don't get accounts banned. They have that path in. Like I just met someone recently who went to Google I.O. And I asked how he got to Google I.O. He's like, oh, we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on Google. So, you know, if you spend hundreds of millions of dollars on Google and you're billions of dollars on Google, like these agencies, there is someone to talk to. So I, I'd say, you know, getting banned by Facebook or Google, that'd be pretty bad. But you can de-risk it by using an agency because now you're, yeah, unless the agency gets banned, you know, and that, and that would be highly unlikely. Fair, fair. Yeah, as a counterposition, I don't think you need to reduce risk. I don't think it happens that often, but I think you have some some fair points, Eli. And you know, uh, truth it be- happens. I get fair points. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. Speaking of fair points, why don't we close this one up with a couple of cool things that we lately found? Whether it's you know websites, apps, videos, books, whatever. Let's let's just share some cool stuff that we recently found. So I heard about this website called There's an AI for that.com. And here's the coolest thing. So the, there's an AI for that.com is a product hunt for AI and people just list AI stuff. If you check it out, you can scroll on the right side. It's an ugly website, but you scroll on the right side and you can see when things were submitted. It goes all the way back to 2015. So for everyone that's screaming about, oh, AI is new and it's going to take over the world. Like people have been submitting AI like tools since 2015. So I thought that was pretty cool. What about you, Kevin? What do you got? Speaking of websites and apps, one really cool app that I recently found is called Audio Pen. Basically what it does is it, you can, it will record whatever you say. You can ramble, you can you know do an audio journal, you can, you can just jot down your thoughts in uh, an audio version and we'll record that, transcribe it, and then summarize it with AI. So I found that super neat because I like journaling and, but whenever I try it on video or audio, it's super rambly and I kind of pause and I think and I, I drift off and, and that app makes it super simple to organize that and store it in case you want to go back to it. So audio pen. That's really cool. All right. So here's another one. So AI is moving very quickly. I've been subscribed for the last few days and I will put it in the show notes as a link to it, but the neuron email. So they, every morning they send out an email saying, here's all the things that are happening in AI. And every time I talk to you, for example, Kevin, I'm like, oh, these are all these tools I never heard of. Like, how do you know about them? So now I, I know about stuff too, because I subscribe to this email. Love it. Another one that I have is an app called How We Feel. It's a, an iOS app. I don't know if it's on Android for the five people who use Android, but uh, how we feel. Oh, stop. <laughs> we're, we're, there are a lot of us out there, mostly in third world countries, but there are a lot of us out there. <laughs> okay, to all the 10 people using it. No, I've got to stop being uh, you know pathetic here. Here's the thing. I don't know if you can relate, but I am not always in tune with my emotions. It's really hard for me to, sometimes to to pause and, and really think about how I feel, but I do believe that that emotions can be important signals that we should pay more attention to. How We Feel is an app that prompts you three times a day, if you want to, four or five times, and it asks you, how do you feel right now? And you can select from a range of emotions based on your energy level and based on, you know, if, if, if it's a pleasant emotion or unpleasant emotion, and then you can you can add more context to it if you want to. You can say where you are and who you're with and what you're doing. And it analyzes that over time and then gives you basically the data back. So you'll you figure out patterns and it will it will help you to better understand and manage your emotions if you if if that's what you want. But I, I was especially impressed by how well designed the app is and how how thought through it is. So give that a shot if you can relate. Oh, that sounds really cool. And then here's another one I learned from the Neuron email list, and we're going to share a link to this where you get access to it. But if you go to the domain, learn XYZ, you cannot get access to it. So this has to go in the show notes, but learn XYZ, it creates AI courses for anything. 
So you can like say, I want to learn more, like we talked earlier about copywriting. So I just say, I want to learn copywriting and it, I don't know where it picks it up from, but it creates a, a, a lesson and courses for me where I can become better at copywriting. Like on their homepage, they have like, learn how to start your own lawn mowing business or do, how to do real estate and all these interesting things. So that learn.xyz and we'll put it in the show notes, how you can get access to it, even though its site is under construction. Super dope. Exclusive access here. So check out the show notes. Two more that I want to plug really quickly. One is the Birch is an amazing tech site that has recently redesigned. And I love I love the look and feel. They have small little feeds across the homepage and all that kind of stuff. So check that out for some inspiration. And I love Passion Fruit, which is an app that I use to manage my sponsorships. And what I love is that I've been very close to the, to the founder of the product team. And I love how quickly they iterate on the product and how quickly they make it better. Love it. Thank you, Passion Fruit. Thank you, Passion Fruit. Cool. Eli, this is a wrap. Don't get banned. I'll hear you next week. If we're not here, then we've been banned. Come come save us. <laughs> and now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.